Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Wonder, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Superspeed Golf. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. And thank you for coming back and joining me this week on Next on the T. How do you feel about what you saw over the weekend at the U.S. Open? I'm going to tell you, folks, I couldn't be happier for Gary Woodland, one of the truly great guys out on the PGA Tour. And you know what? Look no further than his interaction with Amy Brockerstead, right? The young girl with Down syndrome and their interactions earlier this year at the Waste Management Open. That's going to let you know who Gary Woodland really is. Right? And you, now you you fast forward that to, to Sunday, right? And how calm and focused he was, even as Brooks Kepka was birdieing four of his first five holes to put some pressure on him. Got the one stroke back at one point during the round, but Woodland was poised, right? Hit one of the greatest tight light pitch shots that you're ever going to see on the 17th green to keep his two-stroke lead at the time. Who knows what happens if things go awry there with, uh, with Kepka chipping for eagle on 18, but calmly stepped up and hit a fantastic pitch shot. Again, one of the greatest you're going to see and uh, maintains a two-stroke lead, obviously ultimately wins by three. So kudos to him. And and I don't think this is the last major you're going to see Gary Woodland win. He's uh, he's a heck of a player, heck of an athlete. And uh, well, that'll be a part of the, the theme of the show tonight. So, uh, you know, kudos again to Gary Woodland. And we're going to ki- we continue to learn how great Brooks Kepka is. Oh, by the way, if you're going to win a major, Anytime in the foreseeable future, you're going to have to beat, uh, beat Brooks Kepka to do it. And so far this year, right, he's got a he's got a win. He's got two second place finishes amongst the three majors. So you know, boy, you want to talk about a guy who's at the top of his game, at the top of the PGA Tour for that matter? It's Brooks Kepka. Guy's got ice water in his veins. Joy to watch how how strong and how athletic and how good. He is. So looking forward to the Open Championship coming up in about a month. He is the odds on favorite to win there, right? No no surprise that Brooks Kepka is the six to one favorite to win there. Rory McElroy is the next closest at ten to one, followed by DJ and Tiger at twelve to one, which sounds about right to the ears of my first guest tonight, Taylor Made Golf CEO David Abelese, because all four of those guys play tailor-made drivers and of course Rory DJ and Tiger playing tailor-made irons as well which of course we'll talk about with David and we'll get some updates on some of the other things that they've got going on great great new updates to the spider putters for those of you who were with us earlier in the year when David was on we talked a bit about that but boy you want to talk about a, a putter that is driving success and driving guys to be very successful out on the greens it's that spider putter We'll also talk about something else that's really intriguing to me, and that's their new high-toe wedges. They have extended the grooves sort of all the way across and up and down the face. So, you know, again, those, those grooves completely cover the entire face of those clubs. And I tell you, you know, we talk so much on this show about the importance of short game. Those are some clubs I'm dying to get my hands on and see how well they perform. So we'll talk about that with David as well and a whole lot more. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to be joined by 
former PGA Tour caddy Andy Lano. And Andy caddied out on the PGA Tour for about 25 years. He was on the bag for Kenny Perry for about a decade. He's also caddied for you know so many great players, guys like Tom Watson, ladies like Michelle Wee, and then Nick Faldo, Peter Jacobson, our good friends Dave Stockton Jr. and Richard Zirkel as well. So uh, looking forward to talking to uh, Andy. He caddied for 40, over 40 majors out on tour, nine masters in the 2004 Ryder Cup. So we'll hear some really great stories from inside the ropes from, from those events. Plus, we'll talk about his company, Golf Mastery, where Andy helps teach players the strategy of the game based on his experience and the things that he learned over the course of his years out on tour and the players that he was around. So looking forward to having Andy with me here at the bottom of the hour. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a long overdue return visit from LPGA Class A teaching professional Sue Weger. Sue also wrote a great book. It's The Last Six Inches, Change Your Brain, Change Your Game. And you guys know how much we talk about the mental part of the game. So we'll talk about that, get inside Sue's mind a little bit and uh, get a couple of playing lessons from her as well, particularly how we can do a better job with those three to five foot knee knockers, right? Let's get, let's get our mind right to make those putts. And uh, so we're not so afraid of those things and then make a good stroke. So looking forward to having Sue back on the show about 45 minutes from now. So there you go, folks. We got a lot of great uh, stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Team. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before I get started, you guys know I always like to remind you about our good friends, Mitch Lawrence and Matthew Lawrence. Mitch has got a great podcast of his own called Talking Golf Getaways, where he and his co-host Darren Bunch let you know about great places to stay, play, and even eat and drink while you're there. You can stream their podcast over on Golf Trip X, and that's the letter X, so GolfTripX.com. It's also available at great places like Audio Boom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Go there, check out their show, and learn about some of the hidden gems that we have around the country. His twin brother, Matthew, also has a great golf show. It's called Backspin Golf. It airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time on WLXG, ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. His show so much fun. I got to be a part of it this past weekend with he and Perry French. So a lot of fun talking to those guys about the U.S. Open. And the show is so much fun every week because Matthew is great and Perry is great. And the guests they have are also outstanding. Again, it's called Backspin Golf. And you can stream it online by going to WLXG.com or do what I did, which is download the WLXG app. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear from Steve Rondonero about what they've got going on this summer. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20 and 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens. And, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yes, indeed, folks. Go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place they have. they got a great casino on site as well, folks. So you got that on top of all the great golf and the great amenities that they have there. Go to FrenchLick.com to book your stay. 
And well, folks, TaylorMade Golf has done it again. The all-new M5 and M6 drivers are fantastic. And what a story they are. They both feature speed-injected twist face, created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and I do mean every single head, is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. So basically, every head is made to be tour spicy. So speed for all of us. Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their summer collection out. The thoughtful selections are rooted in character and endurance. The signature details, colors, and fabrics remind you that you are well on the way to the game that you are meant to play in life and on the course as well. Check out their summer collection online at BobbyJones.com. All right, now back in making his sixth appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is David Abelese, president and CEO of TaylorMade Golf. David joined TaylorMade as the general manager for their Asia-Pacific division, later moved over to be their director of sales for North America, left TaylorMade for Titleist and the Yakushnik Company to become vice president of sales and marketing, came back to TaylorMade as their executive vice president and general manager, took over as their chief executive officer and president back in February of 2015, and they've been knocking it out of the park ever since, and I'm very thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, David. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. How are you tonight? I'm fantastic, my friend. How are you? Good. It's hard to believe this is my sixth show with you. I'm becoming kind of a, a mainstay on the show. I love this. <laughs> Indeed you are, and I hope that never changes. I'm not, David, usually, you know, I'm not usually invited back that frequently. <laughs> well, you know, you've always got a spot on this show, my friend. David, I got to imagine, boy, everything seems to be getting better and better for the brand. You know, earlier this season, we talked Ricky Fowler having made the switch to the TaylorMade golf ball and got a win at the uh, Waste Management Open a, a, ta a tournament he was sort of previously never able to get over the hump at, but he puts the, the TP5X golf ball in play, and boom, he gets a win. We see Rory having a successful year, a win at the Players' Championship and a couple weeks ago at the Canadian Open. We've seen Dustin having another great year. Tiger's big win at the Masters, and then you've also got, also got Brooks Kepka, who's playing the M5 driver and TaylorMade Fairway Woods as well, and John Rahm, nice, tied for third this past weekend at the U.S. Open. So you've got all of those things going on. You've got to be happy about what you're seeing and what your equipment is able to help these guys achieve. We are, Chris. Honestly, if you asked me to script this on January 1st to say what would happen in the first six months of the year, I'm not so sure even with my loftiest expectations and ambition, I'd be able to write this one the way it's been written. Uh, we're fortunate. You know, the, the world's best players are choosing tailor-made for performance reasons. Um, some that are contracted and, and many that aren't contracted have chosen to put injected twist face, thanks for that plug, uh, in, in their bags, M5s and M6s. And even most recently, just this weekend, and uh, like you, even though Gary Woodland's not a TaylorMade staff member, he, I'm one of his biggest fans. And, uh, and certainly his caddy, Brennan Little, who's been a very dear friend of mine for over 20 years, uh, the shot that he hit that I'm sure all of your listeners watch, the pitch shot on 17, think about doing that on the 71st hole with the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach on the line um, and hitting a pitch shot off the green, over the hump in the middle of that green, and any of your fans that or your listeners that have had a chance to actually see that hole understand how difficult of a shot that is. 
he hits a perfect shot, and ironically, that shot was hit with a high-toe wedge, our tailor-made product, a 64-degree high-toe wedge. So um, certainly these athletes bring a world of talent in terms of their playing capabilities, but I'd like to think at some level our equipment's helping them deliver against you know, the highest level of performance that they could possibly uh, ascertain as they play. So it's very exciting. You know, our products are selling through very well. And most importantly, what matters for us isn't simply that tour players win and win majors with TaylorMade, but the products are really designed and developed for, for players at every skill level across the spectrum of golfers around the world. And that's the real validation for us when we have 8 and 12 and 14 handicap uh, players saying, I'm playing better golf because of tailor-made equipment. And, you know, that's that's been going great. So we're off to another very good start. We're almost halfway through the year. It's hard to believe. Uh, one more major to go in the balance of the tour season into the FedEx Cup. But uh, we're in a terrific position, and, and our business has a lot of momentum. And, David, I want to build off a couple of things that you just said there. And, and uh, the high-toe wedge that you guys have come out with is something that I'm very intrigued by. I love to see – how you've got those grooves essentially covering the entire face of those high toe wedges. Talk about that design and what that's going to allow us to do. Yeah. So let me start with the genesis behind the design, the idea, because any good golf club design comes from in our, in our experience, two areas, one, a new idea that'll kind of recreate the way uh, we see the game being played or two, um, an idea that's been developed over time by an athlete that's recognized the need for their particular game. And so in the high toe case and, and our, our range of high toe wedges, the second real factor is what drove us to create this wedge, which is Dustin Johnson saying, you know, when I'm in bunkers and I'm trying to optimize my spin on different types of bunker shots and I lay the face open, uh, more often than not, and I'm sure most of the golfers listening to this can realize and, and relate to this, that the ball is rolling up the face and rolling up from heel to toe because the face is open and you tend to hit the shot with a descending blow and you lose spin characteristics if the score lines don't go all the way out to the toe and you're chrome on chrome or ball on chrome, I should say. So we said, you know what, let's machine one of these parts and have Dustin prove this out. So he was at our kingdom in Carlsbad where we do a lot of our testing. We put him in a bunker with a wedge with score lines to go out to the toe and without score lines that go out to the toe, had them on launch technology, watched how the ball was interacting uh, when it hit the green uh, on short wedge shots, medium range wedge, wedge shots, longer wedge shots out of bunkers, and even off of tight lies in the fairway or rough lies. We can simulate all that through the different playing conditions we have at the kingdom. And we realized we were simply getting better performance and that Dustin was right, that that golf ball rolls up the face. And if you see it on a high-speed camera, and slow it down, you'll see where the golf ball impacts the face, how long it stays on the face, and importantly, where the spin is generated. So a simple notion of I need more spin out of bunker shots, or I need more spin off of thicker lies around the greens, or in Gary Woodland's case, when he pitches one off a tight lie green to green on 17 at Pebble, enabled us to start to you know, build this concept into a product and subsequently commercialize it and bring it to golfers around the world. Um, so any of your, your listeners that see a copper type of wedge uh, on the PGA Tour, uh, or in anyone's bag for that matter, that's a high-toe wedge. The other thing we did is take the center of gravity up the toe. So it actually goes a little bit further up. And, and the reason we did that is because many times when you hit a wedge shot, the ball launches too high, and you can't really control your trajectory the way you would like to. So we moved the CG actually up in the wedge, which is counterintuitive. 
that high toe moves the score lines out, the center gravity up in the wedge, which then enables players to actually modify their launch conditions and their trajectory. So now we've got a wedge that spins a lot, but you don't have to hit it way up in the air to spin a lot. You can control your trajectory based on the playing conditions to optimize performance. It's been a wonderful product. Uh, we sold out of them early in the season. Fortunately, we're back in stock right now because we had to take our forecast up. But um, it's got a lot of momentum. It's exciting in a category that we have a lot of uh, runway in. We think we can continue to build our wedge business uh, with technologies like Hightoe. And just to take that a one step further, David, one of the, you mentioned it comes in copper. One of the other finishes that I've started to see more players like is the raw finish, and that's because the face will actually rust a little bit, which I'm I'm guessing helps them also create more spin. Are you seeing players using the copper? Or are you seeing them use the raw finish? How how has that been received? Yeah, well, the raw finish is is only available at this point in time for tour. So we don't offer that um, in the markets. We will in the future uh, because the demand is building for that. Uh, but tour players uh, are okay with their wedge rusting out a little bit. And we've got some ideas heading into 2020 that will really get golfers excited about playing uh, raw-type products and retaining the finish qualities that have come to be expected by golfers. So, uh, yeah, we see raw certainly as, as part of our range moving forward. Um, whether it's in high toe or even in the mill grind product. And, and the other technology, Chris, that's very exciting around these wedges is what's called milled grind. So all I would ask is that any of your listeners that are interested in a new wedge, as they hopefully will test TaylorMade, turn the wedge over, look at the sole. You'll see that those parts are actually machined to perfection. So there is no variances in bounce. There is no variances in loft. So when we say we have a 60-degree wedge and 8 degrees of bounce, it is 60 degrees and 8 degrees of bounce because we machine every one of those parts to ensure that it's as precise as it needs to be to optimize performance. So we're seeing new finishes come to market and new interest for finishes. Raw will be one of them over time. And we're also seeing milled grind technology become something that uh, many of other brands, competitors of TaylorMade, are following because they, too, are realizing they can make better products through that technology. And that's one of the things, Chris, you've known us for a long time, and we're very passionate about innovation. We talk about it uh, in the construct of new products and how we run our company. Um, this is an innovation that we believe that will transform the way wedges will be designed over time because now there is no process movement in manufacturing a wedge. It's precisely milled or machined uh, right to spec. And that's very important for not only tour players, but for average golfers or, or handicap amateur golfers around the world. And David, speaking of amateur golfers and, and the success stories that you've had, and I shared with you about my father, who is a few months shy of his 76th birthday. And a couple of months ago, I went through and we got him some Gapper hybrids, and we also got him M6 irons. And he put those into play, and soon afterwards, not only did he shoot his age, he beat his age by four years, shot a 72 up on his home course there in Tennessee. And he talked about how easy the gappers are once he got to feel for those to hit and get the ball up in the air and some distance that he's gained using the M6 irons. But talk about the, the gappers. I know we talked a little bit about those last time, but for those who weren't with us last time, talk about what those can do for us. Yeah, well, Chris, first off, if your father's listening, I'm sure he is. He's a proud father. Happy Father's Day and congratulations for beating your age. That's that's simply incredible. I mean, that, that's some type of golf that I think we all aspire to, to play to as we age in this terrific game. Uh, so congratulations. 
Yeah, Gapper is fantastic. I'll keep this very simple and, and really brief. If anybody listening has a challenge between their highest lofted fairway wood um, and their most playable long iron, and in most cases, not all cases, that's typically a four, five, or six iron and a five wood. When you think about how far you hit your five wood and how far you hit your four, five, and six iron, my guess is you have somewhere between a 20 and 50 yard gap in distance between those two clubs. And that's where the concept of gapper, which is why we named it that, to fill the gap in your game between your most playable long iron and your highest lofted fairway wood. Because most of us can't hit a two iron like Gary Woodland or a two iron like Dustin Johnson or Rory McIlroy. Can't even hit a three or four iron because we don't generate enough speed to launch the ball up in the air high enough and fast enough to be able to optimize performance and land the ball softly on the green and get close to a hole location. So that's what gapper really is, and it comes in several different configurations. There are lower trajectory gappers, mid-trajectory gappers, higher trajectory gappers, and all I would encourage everybody to do is go try them. We have demo products all over the world that you can go try. Talk to your local golf professional. Go into a retail shop. Hit them. You'll absolutely love them, and it'll, it'll really change the way you think about your game when you have an in-between shot between your – Again, your best playing long iron and your highest lofted fairway woods. And we're seeing that kind of really gain traction all over the world because golfers are seeing the benefits of that 180, 200, 220-yard shot that is important to them, but it, it's just it doesn't work for their five wood and it doesn't work for their six iron. David, switching gears a little bit, talk about putters. Not long ago, you guys came out with a new version of the Spider X putter, which has helped Rory McIlroy make more putts this year. Jason Day is probably the best putter out on tour right now. Talk about the modifications that you guys made to improve on the Spider putter. Yeah, so the original Spider Tour is on play on tour, and, and that's been very exciting. Um, uh, Chris, we've talked about this in the past. You've seen the red and black versions of those. Uh, in fact, you know, it was the first red putter on tour, and I think most of us uh, have seen what's happened with red putters. It's exploded across not only the PGA and worldwide tours, but uh, into bags of golfers uh, all over the world. It's super exciting. Um, this year, we took an even more advanced technology approach and refined the shape from Spider Tour into Spider X. So it's a slightly smaller head. Uh, but a higher inertia head. So we've taken tungsten weights and moved them out into the bumpers of the product. You can see that on the product. But the real unique technology in Spider Tour is is a concept on the top of the crown called True Path. And what you'll see, what Rory has in his bag or Dustin has in his bag, Jason, is you'll see a white pathway on the top of the Spider X putter that is an incredible visual alignment with the, the golf ball in your alignment toward the hole. And so one of the things that Rory is really benefiting from, and you've seen, seen how his putting has improved most recently, not only at the Players' Championship, but he led the field in putting uh, in Canada just a couple of weeks ago, putted well again at Pebble, is that true path alignment is really helping him align to the hole. And the one thing I've learned over time in 25 years playing golf and, and, and working in golf and certainly at TaylorMade is if your alignment's not right, the likelihood of you making a putt is significantly less. So it's a true alignment story, and then we have a face insert technology with Pure Roll that gets the ball rolling and holds that line uh, truly immediately off the putter face. So it's the most technically advanced mallet putter um, ever brought to market, and I say that very um, respectfully because there's been a lot of good mallet technologies over time. But when you think about Pure Roll technology face insert, when you think about true path um, putting pathway sight lines, 
and then a carbon core tungsten infused putter. There's a lot going on to ensure that the stability, feel, and alignment and roll of that putter is as good as we can make it. And we're very proud of it. it Spider has become the number one played model uh, on the PGA and in most cases the worldwide tours. And that's exciting for us because, you know, we've always had great metalwood technology. We have incredible irons technology, P790, M6. Um, but to be a major player and compete for leadership in the putter category over the past several years on the back of Spider has been something that's inspiring for all of our people, but most importantly for golfers that get to putt better. And, and that's exciting for us. Yeah, and it's it's been exciting for me. I'll tell you what, I put the spider putter in play about a year ago, and I make way more putts than I ever have. It keeps me, the technology and the, and the weight of that putter keeps my the putter face online way better than any putter that I've ever uh, used in the past. So kudos to you guys for that and for uh, for continuing to make it even better and better. David, I was also interested to see about a month ago, you started partnering with the Peter Millar apparel brand. Talk about what you guys are doing there. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, most of us are aware of uh, the incredible products that Peter Millar makes. I mean, it, in my opinion, uh, the best quality uh, golf apparel um, that I've ever worn or have ever been around, they've established a standard of excellence in golf that is really second to none. Um, they sell to fine golf shops and resorts all over the country. Their brand has become synonymous with with uh, best-in-class quality and design, and they sweat every detail the same way we do with our golf equipment. So at first we started to think about, boy, how neat would it be if we partnered up with Peter Millar and took two companies that really focus on not only innovative new quality in product or performance capabilities in product, but pristine design language. And so we came together, two companies uh, that share same, similar visions to make best-in-class products and best-performing products and said, how cool would it be if we put a collaboration together and created a range of tailor-made products by Peter Millar? And so what can be found right now is tailor-made by Peter Millar on tailormadegolf.com. We've got uh, a dozen different shirt styles and pullover styles they are absolutely beautiful products. We're selling them quickly online because golfers not only appreciate and respect Peter Millar, uh, the way we've talked about just now or what I've shared with you, but also that they want the tailor-made logo on their chest or right sleeve. So it's a, uh, a unique collaboration, first of its kind, with TaylorMade and Peter Millar. Uh, our hope is that um, the product will continue to be as successful over the next six months as it has been over the previous, really call it two or three weeks. And we'll continue to build great products with Peter Millar going forward. But very exciting. First time we've had a tailor-made range of products, uh, assembled, manufactured, designed, and co-developed um, by the best-in-class Peter Millar design team. And we're thrilled and excited that golfers have the opportunity to wear the tailor-made logo on their chest or sleeve with this new product. David, just a couple of more before we let you go. And uh, first, give, can you give us a glimpse into the future? Wet our whistle a little bit. What are some of the exciting things that we might see from TaylorMade in the not-too-distant future? Yeah, well, Chris, we're always working on advanced technologies. And again, to if you really subscribe to being an innovative company, um, you'll always have to constantly be uh, taking on new risks to find new pathways to find improved performance. So um, we're always working on products, not only into 2020, but we're three or four years out on technology today that – Quite candidly, we, we don't even know how to manufacture yet, but we do know that some of these technologies, when we can define the appropriate process and manufacturing process, when we bring them to market after thoroughly testing them, 
They'll help with ball speeds and launch conditions, higher inertia values, will improve forgiveness. We have a wonderful forgiveness technology that we're working on right now that helps players of all skill levels hit the ball straighter uh, with better feel and better accuracy, and certainly uh, with the distance sets that, that everyone has come to expect from TaylorMade. Um, we continue to work on different multi-material technologies and how we infuse multi-material into product to improve mass properties uh, across every category. Um, you're going to see some wonderful new products this fall uh, that will build upon, you know, the best, the best, best performing players distance iron in its class and P790. So that product continues to evolve and it is absolutely best in class right now. So we continue to make that better. So what you can expect from our company is what I think most golfers have expected from TaylorMade now 40 years, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary in business, is a continued dedication to rethinking the way golf is played and the equipment that can help golfers perform better with it. And that's exciting for us, you know, and, and um, those breakthroughs that you have seen and we've talked about over time um, really have defined our company and in many regards have defined the golf industry and have had other brands follow uh, in the things that we've done. So um, I can't really share with you specifically what's coming uh, in 2020 yet, but I will certainly by the time we get to the end of the year, um, and you'll see new product technologies that'll take this existing platform that we have uh, and help golfers see even better performance benefits in those products that we launch next year. David, let our listeners know, again, how they can stay up to date with all the great things you guys are coming out with and currently doing and follow you guys both on your website and on social media as well. Yeah, uh, thanks, Chris. TaylorMadeGolf.com is the, the best way to, to plug in and learn about our brand and our products. And certainly you can follow us socially on on, on, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, just just put in your search uh, engine uh, TaylorMadeGolf and you'll find us. Uh, some great stuff there. A lot of stories being told about our products, but importantly, from our tour players, whether it's Tiger, Dustin, Rory, John Rahm. Um, you know, Jason Day, we just signed Colin Morikawa out of Cal. What a terrific young player. And the superstar out of Oklahoma State, Matt Wolf, who you're going to hear a lot from starting this week at the Travelers Championship in Hartford. Uh, Matt Wolf is one of the most exciting young players in golf. Uh, we're thrilled that he decided to come to TaylorMade because he wanted to build his career uh, and start building, uh, you know, what we believe over time will be an incredible uh, resume of victories on the PGA Tour. So you'll learn all about those athletes, why they play the products that we manufacture, and, and the benefits that they're seeing from them, the same benefits that all of your listeners will see from them as well. David, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show again tonight. And uh, as you say, becoming quite a regular, and I hope that continues for many, many years to come. I always love when you're a part of the show, my friend. Well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate all you do for golf and certainly for uh, your listeners. Uh, doing a wonderful job. Keep it up and honored to come back uh, time and time again. Thank you. Take care, David. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up again soon. That is the great David Abeles, the president and CEO of TaylorMade Golf and uh, a great individual, a guy that uh, has come to mean a great deal to me and here on the show and uh, always has great innovations coming out of the, the TaylorMade Golf Group. I tell you what, folks, when you take a look at M5 and M6 and those drivers and the twist-based technology that already is helping keep you, you know, getting the ball back into the center of the fairway if your miss is on the high toe or the low heel, so already helping keeping the ball straighter. I'm sure whatever they're working on now is just going to take that to the next level. And I, folks, I promise you, I've been using the spider putter for a little over a year now. 
and making way more putts than I ever made in the past. And I, I love how balanced it is. I love it how it keeps the face, you know, on target, on line with, uh, with, uh, with my putting stroke. And uh, it, uh, it has certainly made me a heck of a lot better. So kudos to TaylorMade and all the great things and all the innovations that David was just talking about. Really, like I said, looking forward to getting those wedges with the high toe and the, and the, uh, and the grooves all the way from, you know, front to back and top to bottom seeing how, how that's going to help put more spin and certainly where my weakness is in my game out of the bunker. If I can get a, get a wedge that I can get more spin and hit the ball closer, boy, that's going to be in my bag. So looking forward to catching up and taking a look at that technology here very soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Andy Lano II, I want to remind you about a couple of our sponsors. First, we also have good friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company, folks. And so if you haven't hit the Ben Hogan Irons, since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor. Get a demo of their Fort Worth PTX or new PTX Pro or even their Edge Irons. And go out on the range compared to what you've got. All Ben Hogan Iron wedges are handcrafted or Ben Hogan Irons are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So they've got no mass production, no shortcuts. All of their irons are custom made to your specifications. The best of all, they're going to charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories. And now their new GS53 drivers and fairway woods. Go out online to BenHoganGolf.com and check them out. You're going to be really happy that you did. Also want to give you a shout out to one of our newer sponsors, the Sandestin Resort. Surrounded by white sandy beaches and the beauty of the Gulf of Mexico, Sandestin Golf and Beach Resort offers three championship golf courses open to the public, plus one semi-private course as well. With recognition from leading golf magazines and reviewers from around the world, each course provides an exciting challenge in a different scenic setting. Golfers can choose to play one or all of the courses, including Raven Golf Club, the Robert Trent Jones layout that played host to the PGA uh, Champions Tour back in 2006 and 2007. The Lynx Golf Club, designed by Tom Jackson, offers a winding layout. I love this course, folks. A winding layout against the backdrop of the Baytown Marina, plus the Chakawachi Bay. Baytown Golf Club, also designed by Tom Jackson, offers a fifth set of U.S. Kids Juniors tees as well. And then you've got the Burnt Pine Golf Club, which is a semi-private Reese Jones design available only to registered Sandestin guests. Visit them online at sandestin.com forward slash tea time or give them a call, 844-887-SAND, for more information and to book your tea times. I also want to welcome Golf Pride to the next on the tea family. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and experience the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest sign is Andy Lano II. Let me give you a little background on Andy. For 25 years, he was one of the top caddies out on the PGA Tour. The list of tour players that Andy has caddy for is long and distinguished. That list includes players like Kenny Perry, Tom Watson, Peter Jacobson, Nick Faldo, Shea Reevy, Michelle Wee, and our good friends Dave Stockton Jr. and Richard Zockel. 
He played his co- he played high school golf first of all at Deering High School in Portland, Maine, then his college golf at Western Kentucky University. And he has been witness to a lot of great golf history. He caddied in over 40 majors, including nine Masters tournaments and the 2004 Ryder Cup matches. He was on the bag for Michelle Wee in 2006 at the 84 Lumber Classic when she was playing up against the men. He was inducted into the Maine Golf Hall of Fame back in 2010, retired from the PGA Tour in 2016, started his own business called Golf Mastery, which helps players master the game from a strategic management point of view. Go online and check it out, golfmastery.net. And I'm honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Andy, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? Doing great, Chris. Hey, I appreciate you having me on and uh, just enjoying the sun out here in the uh, great state of Washington. Nah, good for you. So, Andy, I want to start, like I mentioned in your intro, you're from Maine. You played your college golf at Western Kentucky. How does a New England kid end up playing his college golf out in Kentucky? The short version was, as, as growing up as a kid, you know, I played, you know, the three sports, basically football, basketball, baseball. And um, I used to play basketball uh, with a gentleman that went to Western Kentucky. And he kind of recruited me to go down there and check it out because I, you know, I ended up dropping baseball as, as a freshman in high school and choosing golf over baseball, which was a tough decision because I was pretty good at baseball up to that point. But I wanted, I had aspirations and dreams of trying to play. So I said, you know, I've got to go where the climate's a little warmer. So um, had a connection there, went down, actually made the team as a walk-on, and that's basically how it happened. And, and that's where I the met guy that you Perry. ended up <laughs> right. You got you end up uh, meeting Kenny Perry, and the next thing you know, you know, golf history is made with the two of you uh, teaming together for many years. What was it like playing as a as a partner with Kenny in college? Well, I got to tell you, I mean, Kenny on our team, we had a fantastic team. I mean, we had a great lineup of people. I mean, Kenny's obviously done the best uh, of anybody on our team, but I mean, it was tough to even break the top five to make a road trip, but. Um, it was, it was, Kenny was a great player then. The ironic thing about Kenny is he never won a college golf tournament. He finished second a bunch of times, but he never really won one. He won a bunch of mini tours. And as you know, he's done quite well on the PGA tour with 14 wins and an additional 10 more, I guess, on the champions tour. So it was fun to play with Kenny and, uh, actually had a special moment. I made my first hole in one with Kenny standing next to me. So that was pretty special. Because that's about the only time I've ever beat him on a hole. <laughs> and and Andy, you were on the bag with, with Kenny for a long time, including his win in your backyard there at the 94 Bank of Boston Classic. So I was curious, what was it like getting a win on tour in front of sort of the home fans for you? I mean, I got to tell you, all the wins that I was fortunate enough to be a part of were special, but that one really was special. And the reason why was, is obviously, as you mentioned earlier, being from Portland, Maine, going to Worcester or Sutton, Mass, that was the nearest tour event for us to go attend. We, you know, we only had Bear or Hartford, and Hartford was another 50 miles. So my dad used to take me down there as a kid, you know, and, and watch. And I, and I, you know, I was familiar with just the, obviously the holes around there. But the, the, a lot of funny different things happened that week. But, you know, I mean, Kenny wasn't initially even going to go to the tournament. He had played like six in a row, but he started to play really good. And, I, you know, I encouraged him, and he never had any luck up there. And he just 
he really wanted to go home, but you know, we, we talked about it and he realized he was playing and he goes, you know what, maybe you're right. He had some really nice friends up there that he stays with and they talked him into it. So we got up there and we just kind of went along and we ended up winning the tournament and, and I'll never forget it. It was really neat. And, you know, we nudged, uh, you know, David Faraday by one shot. And Andy, you were also on the bag for him uh, at the 2004 Ryder Cup at Oakland Hills, which wasn't the U.S. team's finest hour. But when you when you get an opportunity to be a part of a Ryder Cup and be on the bag in an event like that, what's that like? I mean, it, honestly, outside of the outcome, it was um, amazing. And you know, Hal Sutton was our captain, and and I say this is Hal Sutton was a, as I say, a pro caddy guy. So he was a four caddy guy, you know, back when I started in 87, I mean, caddies could barely even near the locker room or around the Hal, I mean, he really opened up the door for what the caddies have today at these events. I mean, he gave us a Cadillac courtesy car. We parked next to the players. We had a locker inside. We, you know, we, we ate with the players. I mean, we, we had input. We had a first class ticket to the event. So, I mean, Hal did everything first class, and it was really neat to be a part of that. I mean, just to, you know, playing, you know, caddying for your country was a neat deal. Obviously did it a couple times in, in some President's Cups, too, with a little more success. But, I mean, yeah, that was a neat deal, and um, it, was a, it was a different animal, I got to tell you. It was way different than just a regular tour event. Is the pressure different or the same as playing in a major? For the team event? I mean, for the yeah. Ryder Cup? Yeah, I mean, when you're a part of a Ryder Cup, I mean, is the pressure the same or is it different? I'm, 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 you're, not, you're not, probably not going to believe this, but for the players, it's more because they're playing for like, you know, 11 other guys. And, you know, when you're on a major, obviously there's pressure, but it's you. And if, you know, if things don't go your way, then you've got you. But when you start going out and partnering with someone and, you know, you got other guys relying on you, it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a different kind of feeling. And sometimes guys handle it better than others. Um, so that that's the best way I would explain it. I mean, I try and we try to caddy the same way you would in a normal event because the bottom line is, you know, you still need to get the ball in the hole fast. So, I mean, but there, there definitely is a different feel for it. And it, it's definitely um, with golf being an individual thing. You know, the, the one thing I say about golf as a professional sport, it's pretty unique. It's really the only sport where a player actually has someone out there with them every step of the way, you know, goes along the journey with them. You know, I mean, most everything else is individual, you know, outside of, you know, coaches calling timeouts and all that kind of thing. So the team thing really does bring a different aspect to, to the whole, you know, scenario and the mental approach. And Andy, you've been a part of nine different masters tournaments and we all know how well, Augusta National treats the players and the patrons. And you mentioned here how well Hal Sutton treated you guys at the uh, at the Ryder Cup. What's it like being a caddy at Augusta National? How are, how are the caddies treated there? I mean, really good. They're a lot better now. I mean, than, but always very good. I mean, we always had great parking there. I mean, as you know, traffic is a challenge. And, you know, they always took care of us as, you know, as good as could be expected. I mean, that is it's one long week. It's a lot of long days. Um, you know, but, you know, if you're at the Masters, then, then you know what, that's where you want to be. I mean, it's, people don't realize how hilly and, and how, how, how exhausting Augusta National is. I don't know if you've been there, but 
you know, wearing yeah. the overalls and doing all that kind of deal. I mean, it's a long day. And, I, you know, I'm not saying that to complain, but, I mean, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. But it's such a thrill and it's so exciting and so electric, you know, being the only major that you go to the same course every year makes it really cool and unique. So, you know, if you're there, you're, you're doing pretty good or, or you've had a pretty good year. Yeah, but you know, take that a step further, Andy, because I've I've often wondered, and I've been fortunate to to be to go out to the Masters every year since '01, and as we've said often on this show, it, the TV doesn't do justice to the elevation changes and what the topography of the golf course is like. And there you are, right? You you mentioned you got the white overalls on, you got a bag that I'm sure is weighing 50, 60 pounds, you know, over your shoulder, and you're going up and down those hills all day long. That's got to be one of the most exhausting events, and you know, and then you're doing it all week long for the practice rounds, and then you got the par three, and then you've got the, the tournament itself. That's got to be a heck of a grind for that week. You know what? It, it is a grind, but you know what? You kind of plan it out. You kind of, kind of, you know, pace yourself. I want to say. I mean, the other thing that we do there too is, you know, I, you know, I always went out and got all the pins, so you had to get up early, whether you were playing at one o'clock or whatever, 10 o'clock, they, so you could go out and watch them set the pins. And, uh, you know, a lot of us go out there and used to get those and not just count on the pin sheets. So there's a lot of, like, behind-the-scenes work that a lot of people aren't aware of that goes on there. But, again, the the emotion and the, and the high of being there, I mean, guys will do it over and over and over and never feel a thing. I mean, you have those, you know, certain times where we've had rain delays and long days and, all that kind of thing. But that's all part of it. You're there to try to have your player put that green jacket on on Sunday, and pretty much everybody that's there will do anything they can to see that happen. And, Andy, for all of us that love that golf tournament and love that golf course, I think we all think we know it so well because it's it's a tournament. It's in the same place every year, and, and it's a major, and, and for a lot of us, it's our favorite major. But I'm guessing the course isn't exactly the same that we think it is year after year. When you've gone back all those times, did you notice, like, are the greens different even though they look the same? Are the undulations different? Is it, or is it exactly the same as you remember it from the year before? No, it was, it was never the same. And, and whether they put a different wrinkle in a green or they put, you know, um, you know they might have changed a tee, they didn't really, you know, they, they would tweak the course every year. And because they didn't want anyone to really know, like, a certain putt, like, oh, I saw this on TV five years ago. This is going to go in. But, you know, they don't really want that. And as, you know, now with this equipment, the way the equipment's going, for instance, I was there in 97 when Tiger blew the place up, right, 18 under. Well, next thing you know, you know, they, they showed up the next year, and there were bunkers where they weren't there weren't bunkers. They, you know, they, they like I say, they Tigerized the place. I mean, they had them out there 300, and there was no blowing it over the corner and into, you know, over into the 10th fair, you know, the 18th fairway and all, all that kind of thing. So they tweak it every year. I mean, they'll, they're tweaking it now. I mean, as you know, the courses get, it, it, it's, it's closed most of the summer and they just put little tiny, I mean, little tiny things in there, but you have to check it and you have to do your homework and be ready to go. Those three days of prep are huge there at, at the Masters. And Andy, if it, if it wasn't for people like Mr. Palmer in the 50s and the 60s and Mr. Nicholas in the 70s and then Tiger since the late 90s, you know, the game being more global now, certainly more prize money 
than there would have there you know that there used to be thanks to Tiger coming out on tour and and all of the sponsors and all of the hype and everything that he's done to grow the game. Have you, have you ever talked to Mr. Palmer, Mr. Nichols, or Tiger and talked to them about the impact that they had on the game and certainly the amount of money that your players were able to play for and win? Well, I mean, actually, you know, in in when once Tiger came to the scene. I mean, the the purses basically went up like five times. I mean, when I started caddying, like first prize was ninety thousand bucks. I mean, they were five hundred thousand dollar purses. So now, all of a sudden, Tiger shows up, and it isn't too long before like the winner's getting paid a million. So every time we won, I used to go up to him or whenever I saw him. I mean, we didn't necessarily play like you know the, the same schedule, but I used to go up and thank him. And he'd look at me and he'd go, you know, what, what are you talking about or whatever? And I would say, hey, Tiger, look, my guy made a million bucks last week. I got 10% of that. If that you know, that, that wouldn't happen if you didn't come to golf. So he'd just kind of give you a wry, wry smile and he'd walk off, you know, and very, you know, immodest about it all. But, yeah, and obviously, been, you know, the road was paved by Arnie and, and Nicholas and Trevino and those type of players, you know, that, that they, they, you know, Fuzzy Zeller and – and Curtis Strange and all, and you know all these people, they they brought their excellence to the game, which helped amp it up for all these other guys. So I mean, everybody gets credit. You know, it's just fortunate that you know the money really started coming to golf a little bit right before the you know, right before the millennial, really, when Tiger hit the scene because he exploded the thing. There's nobody that moves the needle like he does. And Andy, you were also there with Michelle Wee when she was just 16 years old, out there competing against the guys on the PGA Tour at the 2006 84 Lumber Classic. What was it like being there for Michelle? And you know, how did you and how did she keep herself motivated, focused, calm, all those sorts of things? With I'm sure there had to be a million distractions going on for her that week. Yeah, well, I mean, they hired me, you know, their their team hired me to uh come out there and I caddied the week before over in Switzerland for at the at the um Omega Masters. So we had kind of a warm up week over there and she's a fantastic kid. I mean, she was an absolute treat to work for and she is and I can tell you she was not scared of anybody. So, I mean, all I basically tried to do is, you know, go out there and just try to you know, encourage her and, and just basically try to help her out like I would anybody else. Um, but she was, she was pretty, pretty fantastic. I mean, you know, it was, it was, you know, the odds weren't really with her to be able to make, you know, to make a cut out there against them. I mean, she played and hit the ball at that time. She was hitting the ball 275. That's pretty good for a 16 year old, you know, and I mean, she was hitting it hey. by some of the guys we played with. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a complete treat to, to caddy for her. Obviously, you know, later on she had more of her, you know, finally got her major and has, has had, you know, some injury problems lately or whatever. But, I mean, it was a great experience. And, and like I said, I was amazed by by her composure and her focus because, you know, playing with guys, had you know, it didn't bother her one bit. And Andy, I, I imagine sort of life as a caddy is similar to as as I would think for a referee in, in basketball or an umpire in, in, in baseball. You know, if we hear your name during a tournament, it's usually not because, you know, social media is saying, gee, what a great job Andy Lano and, and the caddies are doing out there. It's probably not for all all the right reasons. So what's it like 
as a caddy out on tour. You're sort of there with your guy, but you're also, if your name is, is out there, it's probably not a good thing. What's it, what's life like as, as a caddy from a recognition perspective? Well, from, from it's actually evolved, you know, in the favor of the caddy. I mean, more and more caddies are getting recognized and more and more the announcers are speaking about them. I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but I mean, I think it's the beginning of either the end of last year, whatever, there's been the caddy network has been created. And um, that's a specific network just for caddies. Um, so from, from, the, from the time that I started to now, I mean, caddying, it's a it's big time thing. I mean, there's a lot of folks that are interested in what the caddies are doing what they're saying there's a lot of very good players uh the caddies out there that they can really really play that just weren't quite good enough to be a pga tour pro but i'll tell you what if you went out and played around with them you wouldn't you'd try to scratch your head and figure out you know why i mean i know webb simpson's caddy paul tesori outstanding player ted scott outstanding player for bubba watson so i mean the caddies you know they they uh they're getting a lot more recognition, you know, and when their guy gets in the light, you know, even the other day, you know, you know, Brennan, Brennan Little, you know, another guy that, you know, caddy from Mike Weir in 2003. And then lo and behold, 16 years later, he gets another major with Gary Woodland. So, I mean, there's some great, great caddies out there. And, you know, the best thing is, is you just try to hang in there with your player and just kind of go along for the ride. And when he calls on you, you you know, you give him what you, what he needs and, and go from there. Andy, just a couple more before we let you go. And you started a wonderful business where people can tap into your mind and your experiences to better understand the strategy of playing the game of golf. Talk about what you're doing with Golf Mastery. Yeah, so Golf Mastery, so I'm, what I've basically done is, is take this my 25 years of walking next to the, the greats and seeing how they practice and seeing – you know, what they do to prepare and, and then taking my craft, which my, my job was to go out into the course and kind of sit, you know, take it apart and figure out where do we want to play? What's the strategy? Where, where can we shoot the lowest score from, et cetera? So basically I've kind of rolled that all up, in, you know, into a few different areas, you know, one for younger kids to try to inspire them to play golf and try to, you know, invest in golf as a lifetime sport because there's no limits in golf. If you want to be, you know, a scratch player, you can be a scratch player. If you want to be a 10 or a 15, you can be that too. But golf, as you know, it's international game. It's, it's, you know, it, there's no limits on sexes, religions, ages. It brings everybody together. I mean, I've been fortunate. It's brought some of the greatest people in my life, you know, to me just being involved with golf and even the PGA Tour, some of my best friends. But basically, it's just trying to have people, you know, kind of take a better look at, you know, how to lower your score. And whether you're a 15 handicapper or a 5 handicapper, there's always ways, strategy-wise, that you can be, you know, practicing to lower your score. And that's basically what I focus on, is trying to do that with folks and trying to get them fired up to play golf and, and invest in it. And before I let you go, I know you're being from Maine, and I've seen some pictures of you in a Red Sox polo shirt. I'm a Red Sox fan as well. Got to get your thoughts. Sweet. Can this team, uh, can they get it together? Can they, can we repeat? What are your thoughts? Well, I got to say, I had an absolute blast last year because I went to four and five at Dodger Stadium. 
So that wow. was a bucket list item for me to to attend that, and um, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I've uh, I've been to a Patriots Super Bowl, I've been to a Celtics championship, and I hadn't been to see the Bruins, but uh, I was hoping last week. But anyway, I mean, I, I I'm I don't think Patrick, you know, he's not real thrilled to know that you know you and I are Red Sox fans because you know he's a big Yankees <laughs> fan, and, and, and whenever that's we right. get that going, that's 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 not a good subject. But I think, you know, I think they're getting it together. They haven't had Evaldi at all. So, I mean, you know, right. they're five or six above. They're, try, they're trying to get, you know, they're not, they're trying to get it together here and make a run. I mean, they're still, for not playing very great, according, you know, I haven't seen them a lot, but I've been keeping an eye on them, obviously. They're, they're doing fine. I mean, it'll be interesting to see when they get everybody healthy and in line, you know, if they can make a run. Because you know their goal is just to get in, you know, to get into the playoffs, whether it's a wild card or not, they're going to be dangerous. So it'll be interesting to see, but, you know, long way to go. You know, we haven't even played half the season, so a lot, lots can right. happen in 162 games. Andy, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you continue to do, again, on your website and then over social media as well. Right, yeah, they can um, – uh, on social media, it's, it's – uh, Twitter is at alano 2 and Instagram is AG Lano too. And then of course, uh, the website is, uh, www.golfmastery.net. And that basically has, um, all the options and the things that I'm offering. And there's some unique things on there. And, and as all my information has basically, you know, it's, I call it like my calling card because it's basically put a lot of time and effort to the, to the content and the input in there and basically you know it, it it basically vets what i've done for 25 years you know on the tour and i'm you know i'm looking to try to share that with folks and help them you know have a bigger smile on their face when they're done putting the pin in on 18. there you go that's fantastic andy it's been great having you as part of this show and i know we've only scratched the surface of the stories and the things that you've been a part of and then continuing to get updates for what you're doing at golf mastery i hope you'll come back and join me again soon to share more of your stories with us. Well, I've enjoyed it, Chris, and I really appreciate it. And, yeah, I'd love to come back. Just let me know, and, and we'll make it happen for sure. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to having you back on the show soon. That is Andy Lano. And uh, I tell you what, folks, you, you look back over the course of his uh, caddying career and the, and the people that he's been on the bag for. Again, we talked an awful lot about Kenny Perry, but he's been there for Tom Watson and Peter Jacobson and Nick Faldo. And the list just goes on and on. Curious to hear some stories about our good friends, Dave Stockton Jr. and Richard Zockel. So um, looking forward to having Andy back on the show again real soon and uh, catching up with him again. Golfmastery.net is his website. Check him out and see what he's got uh, available for you. All right, before I get to my next guest, Sue Weger, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. Check them out online at PositiveVibesGolf.com and follow them on Twitter at PVibesGolf. Their head covers and putter covers are a unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts and, and a great on-course training aid as well to stay positive and uh, you know happy images in your, in your mind. Again, you'll see what I'm talking about when you go on their website or you check them out on Twitter. Again, PositiveVibesGolf.com. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Two Under. I want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under, men's performance briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour. Worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, 
Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, which is another story. And your girlfriend and her wife is going to love the side effects, a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code ONTHET20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort. Guest line is Sue Weger. And let me uh, give you a little bit of background on Sue. She is the owner of her own Golf Instruction Academy and has been so for the last 20-plus years and the executive director of Lifetime Golf Connections. She is the director of education of uh, yoga for uh, golfers as well. She is the author of a wonderful book, Golf, The Last Six Inches, Change Your Brain, change your game and you guys know how much we talk about the mental side of the game well sue is an expert at that and i'm very honored she is back with me again tonight here on next on the t hey sue thanks for coming back on the show absolutely chris thanks for having me so sue i want to start by going back and reminding our listeners about how you got started in the game because it's been a minute since you were on the show and you've got a pretty unique story take us through how you know you you got uh, involved in the game of golf, and then uh, to really from quite from uh, out of nowhere, as I recall. That is true. Uh, I was a <clears throat> a multi-sport athlete growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, didn't know golf. My brothers uh, kind of uh, played a little bit here and there, but believe believe me, when I when I found out that they were playing, I'm like, oh, that's just kind of a boring sport because I was playing everything else: volleyball, basketball, softball, and tennis, and Enjoyed doing that through my college um, first two years, and then I've um, I eliminated a couple of sports because, as you know, as a college athlete, you just can't do four things, four sports, <laughs> and try to keep your grades up. It's pretty difficult. So um, I was very competitive in basketball and softball, and my senior year, I uh, was waiting to graduate. Well, I was gra- I've already graduated from college, and I was just waiting for my teaching position back in Omaha to start and coaching basketball, and I got hurt in playing competitive softball and um, I was a lifeguard at the time and just kind of hanging out waiting for my teaching job to start and my one of my college roommates called me up and said hey come work for me and she goes what are you doing and I said I'm just being a lifeguard and she goes well come down right down by the golf course I'm you know I need a I need somebody to work and I said well I don't play golf and she goes you don't have to play golf (laughs) she goes just just be my beer cart girl and I did not know what that was because I was not involved in golf at the time so I said, well, is it an outside job? She said, yes. You just get to drive around in a golf cart and serve, you know, drinks and snacks to golfers. I said, oh, I could do that. That's, that's not difficult. So um, I started just watching players playing. Oh, so this is what my brothers do. You know, you hit it from A to B. And um, I got curious. And so I went down and lost and found and picked up some clubs and uh, picked up uh, a good old bullseye putter. And to this day, I still have that bullseye putter and I still play with it because it's just a, it's just a, a phenomenal putter in my mind anyway. And uh, I started playing and I just fell in love with it. And I stayed in Nebraska for six more years and teaching 
Uh, I was in, started as an amateur, and so um, my first amateur tournament I played, and I shot 84-88, and I thought that was terrible. <laughs> I thought it was terrible because I was a competitive athlete thinking I should be able to just shoot par right away. So I struggled with that <laughs> in the mindset in the beginning. <laughs> but everybody was like, wow, you're really good, and I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you know, it's just your perception, your expectations. And uh, so I just fell in love with it and uh, played in state tournaments and finally got into the championship flights. And and then I thought, and I kept going back to the, every summer for those six years, I enjoyed going back to the golf course. And so instead of being a beer car girl, I was kind of an assistant, you know, golf professional. And I just enjoyed being around it and starting learning the game, you know, from scratch, I would I never really had an instructor, and the other uh, athletic sports just definitely transferred over into into my golf game. And then I turned professional at the age of 30, which is really really late. <laughs> I was like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "If I don't turn professional now, I'll never do it." And I moved from Omaha to Charlotte, North Carolina, and a uh, a great golf professional named David Baco, and uh, you know, took me on as a what do you want to call it as a non-golfer or a golfer that was not in the industry, but I had a, you know, a, a college degree in education. And he said, yeah, we'd love to have you. And so I went down to Charlotte and started my career and played the mini tours uh, back in the early nineties, back in the North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida area. But at that, at that time, there was really not much opportunity really in regards to mini tour players for player for, for females. So I went the PGA route and uh, went to the business school one, business school two, and um, took me about three, three, I think it was four times before I passed my player's ability test for the PGA because back then it was, we pretty much had to play from the same distances as the men. They just gave us about a five stroke differential. So it was pretty difficult back then, um, but now it's changed and it's a lot better. And um, I just didn't enjoy, you know, touring because there was just no money in it and, you know, you had to make, make a living and. So I said, well, I'll just fall back into into teaching, and I love teaching, and I moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to Phoenix, Arizona, and like a couple of years later, and started working for John Jacobs Golf Schools and worked for them for about three years, and then I started my own business in um, basically 1999, and the rest of it is history. <laughs> so I'm blessed to be able so, to do so, what, uh, I love, what I love to do. So, so there's a lot there that I want to get into at a, at a deeper level, but I got to start with a bullseye putter. Are you really still using a bullseye putter? I am. I love it. I, I have a super stroke putting grip on it, but everything else is the same. <laughs> I absolutely. I believe me. Wow. I like it. You know, I've. Yeah, I know. I play in a pro am with Betsy King, and we both laugh because she's still using her bullseye uh, putter is to that this right? day. Yes, she is. Yep. Next time you see her, wow. talk to her. But yeah, she's still using hers and we both laughed. And I, you know, I told her a story behind my putter and she just laughed and, you know, it's just, but yes, it's true. I absolutely love it. It's got the sweetest, sweet spot that you can ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. You know, it's funny. It was when I pull it out, people were like, what is that? Because a lot of people don't even know what it is. <laughs> And when they find out what it yeah. is, I'm like, that should be up on the wall. That shouldn't be in your bag. It should be hanging on the wall. And I'm like, no. <laughs> That's <laughs> <my> great. 
One of the other things that you you mentioned, Sue, was transferable athletic skills. I mean, we're in a time when, you know, particularly junior players, right, are, are are focused on one sport. They're they're in travel baseball. They're in track all year round. They're 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 playing basketball all year round. You are such a well-rounded athlete. You mentioned you played volleyball, basketball, softball, tennis, and then ultimately over to golf. Talk about how those athletic skills and the ability to play all of those sports helped you be a better golfer. Well, the first thing is it just every, you know, you, you think about the four different sports, volleyball, basketball, softball, tennis. Softball and tennis are rotational sports, so that definitely transferred. Um, the basketball and the volleyball really, I think, in regards to uh, teaching people about balance, teaching, you know, uh, motor skills you know, moving because golf, you know, people think golf is a stationary sport. It's not, (laughs) as you know, it's a very dynamic, explosive sport. And, um, you know, especially with our juniors today, as you're right, there's a lot of people that just put people in a box and say, okay, we're only going to do this. And um, most juniors that come to me don't have the motor skills because the physical education and the, the opportunity for them to learn motor skills are not there in schools anymore. And, um, so it's it's a shame, but it's a I see it as a disservice what's going on you know in our education system for sure, especially coming with coming to juniors coming to my lesson tee that you know I have four and five year olds that parents want to get into the game which I absolutely love, um, however their motor skills aren't ready. Um, so what I do is we have fun. We we I have uh, soccer balls. We have softballs and baseballs and bats and 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 wiffle bats and we have lots of things that we do um to help them uh, learn motor skills and then we incorporate that into golf and my one of my favorite drills that we well, I should say games because it's really not even a drill is you know we have sword fights with noodles with my little kids because it teaches them they take put two hands on it and we just fight like, you know, like you're having a sword fight because it teaches them balance. It teaches them rotation. Um, and the fun little things that when we, you know, talk about transfer of weight, we talk about, you know, squishing the bug. We talk their language and, and such, such, um, like a handshake grip. We don't talk about grips. I'm like, oh, how would you, you know, shake my hand? We have, we have fun little, um, different terminology for the juniors. But as far as motor skills, it's like, it, I tell all my parents, you know, get those kids into as much as they can. Play different sports. Please do not let them just play golf because they're not strong enough. They don't have the good balance, the coordination, the rotation yet. Um, so I, I just tell everybody my story. It's like, it's, it's, it makes so much sense to have, um, you know, multi-sport, um, background and experience because the body, um, as you all know, you know, juniors, they're all developing. So, we need to teach them motor function because, I mean, just look at look at our U.S. major champion, Gary Woodland. He's a prime example. He played all the sports going up and played basketball all the way through college. And, you know, he's been, you know, the late bloomer coming out into the PGA Tour. I just love his story. I love him as a human being, love his story. And it's just, that's just another example. And it's just like, please highlight that. <laughs> that he was a multi-sport athlete coming into before he before he joined the you know the tour and so we, we talk a lot on this show about the mental side of the game in your book again which is titled golf the last six inches change your brain change your game and it's a great book to help us 
think better and to think differently about uh, the game of golf. Talk about some of the things, some of the concepts in there from a mental approach that we should be doing differently or better. Yeah, the first thing is, is the first chapter in my book is why. You know, why do you want to play golf? Um, because people play for different reasons. And, um, you know, they're, if, they play, if they're playing for the right reasons, their emotional intelligence is kind of tagged to that. And what I mean by that is when you have a thought, you have a, a thought that comes in of why you want to play. I mean, I have people that come up to my um, uh, lesson tee and they're, they're older ladies and I ask them why they want to play. And they say, well, my husband played. I never see him. And I said, well, let's talk about that because that's not a really good reason to play golf in, in that sense because, you know, what's, what's it going to be in it for you? Um, and, for example, um, the other thing is we, you know, we talk about in the sense that um, when people come up to listen to you and I say, well, you know, that's the first question, why do you want to play? And everybody has different reasons. Some of them, some juniors want to play, you know, they want to get a college scholarship or um, they want to play competitive or they want to play with their girlfriends or their boyfriends or whatever it may be. Um, you know, why do you think the why is so important, Chris? Why do you think the why is so important? So for me, the why that I like to play golf, it's, uh, it's for the camaraderie with my buddies. I mean, it's a competitive right. piece and we, we're out there trying to beat each other's brains out. But, but, you know, along the way, it's the, it's the place that we have so much fun together, needling each other and uh, getting to hang out and spend time together. It's sort of a, you know, wrapping all that together between the competition and the camaraderie. That's why I mm -hmm. love the game. Yeah, it's, it's about the relationships that you have with others, and that's your why. And that's important because how does that – if one of the questions I ask when I do a lot of my retreats and workshops is, what if – golf was taken away from you what all of a sudden if they just closed all the golf courses and golf was not in was not around anymore what would you miss most and you probably must just so answered for, it and like you yeah, yeah for you I'd what would the you opportunity to be t yeah so I, i'd miss the opportunity to do those things with my friends and and just being a fan of the game you know boy i sure would miss watching the guys out on tour and the ladies out on the lpga tour and the things that they're able to do because mm -hmm. i marvel at them for how easy they make the game seem and and that sort of thing but it would be a big hole in my life if it wasn't there right and i just and and that's why we kind of dig deep down into the whys in the sense because if you remember why you play on the days that you don't play well, you'll still enjoy the game. And that's, people go, oh, I never really thought about it that way. And, yeah. you know, if you, if you cherish it, that, and it's simple in thought, but in the sense that, you know, if you, if you just remember why you play, and when you're standing over the golf ball, and remember why I'm just out here to have fun with my buddies, you'll actually play better because your authentic self shows up more. And when your authentic self shows up, your skill sets come out because you're not self-sabotaging. You're not getting yourself, you're not um, stepping in the way of yourself. And that's what self-sabotage is all about. So a lot of people that, many of my reviews that come back and where people call me and say, I just absolutely love the first chapter of your book because it's about the why. And then they just get like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that's the yeah, that's that's the first thing. And then we just we just talk about um, your thoughts, create emotions and your emotions, create your actions and your and your decisions. And that cycle of thoughts, emotions and actions can the only thing that you can control. 
is yourself, meaning the only thing that you can control is your thoughts. And we just, we dig deeper in regards to, you know, where's your thoughts coming from? Your your thoughts are coming from your own self-belief. And then we dig deeper a little bit into understanding your subconscious is where your self-worth is and where your self-beliefs are because of all the conditioning that you've had in your life and everything that you've anchored um, throughout your life, especially when you were a child from um, the time that you were born to seven years old. They're just sponges. Child Children are just sponges between between those years. And, you know, self-confidence and self-worth and self-image is buried in your subconscious. And those first, first seven years come from um, those experiences that we have in life. So if you were an abused child, you're going to have a lot of fear and a lot of guilt and a lot of other things that come up. And it's, it, those emotions have a lot to do with how you're going to re- how you're going to react or respond to different situations. And so we just talk about that relationship. And um, but the nice thing is is that the the first thing that you can control is your thought. And you know, there's we're wired for fight or flight. We're wired for negativity. So we have to, I don't know if we mentioned this to you before, but with negative thoughts, for one negative thought, you have to have five positive thoughts to neutralize it. That's what neuroscience studies tell us. Five to one. So can you imagine that, Chris? Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So it's crazy. It's, it's, when you talk about negative thoughts, right, and, and you're right, on the golf course is a place where those things are, are flying into our brains, you know, all the time. How do how do we do mm-hmm. a better job of doing that? You know, keep keeping the five to one ratio or to keep those negative thoughts. Cause you know, I mean, nothing scares you know me more than having to hit a bunker shot because I get in there and I'm the first thing I think of is don't hit it fat. Don't scull it across the green. I don't think, Hey, I could make this shot. Mm-hmm. That's one of the good things that, that my friend Debbie O'Connell always tells me, you know, hey, you, every time you step up to the ball, you should think, you should think, hey, this could go in. But for most of us, it's all the bad things that could happen. I could, you know, we're out in the fairway, or I could hit this in the trees, or I might top it, or I might hit it fat. How do we do a better mm-hmm. job of not thinking that and thinking of thinking more positively? I think that it's it's easy in theory, <laughs> but not easy. Um, and the first thing is just self awareness. It's like, you know, what are you thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about missing it. Okay, so what's the opposite of that? You know, most people are focused on what not to do, and we need to train our brain to do what we want it to do instead of the not. So right. um, so the what I teach is what, uh, focus language and physiology. So focus number one is focus on what you want. and In order to focus on what you want, your self-talk has to change. So if you understand that self-talk and that internal voice saying, you know, I'm I'm afraid I'm going to leave it in the bunker or I'm afraid to, you know, hit it over the green or I'm afraid, blah, 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 whatever the story is. We have to just start listening and become very self-aware of what our thoughts are. Um, And then we we just shift it and we shift it and we have to say, okay, well, what, what do I want? And it's the same thing on the first tee. If you're standing on the first tee and your focus is on the water on the right and the sand bunker on the left, there's no way. Well, you could, you know, execute a good shot, but the brain's going to either manipulate away from either the water or the the sand bunker, and we're going to mani- mani- uh, manipulate that swing. And our authentic self and our authentic skill set's not going to show up. 
So that's the first thing is we got to we got to just be very well aware of our self talk and focus on what focus on what you want. Um, the second part is like I said, language, which is our um, uh, is our is our self talk. What am what are you what are you saying? You know, in the sense that do you have a belief system that always comes out negative? In the bunker, it sounds like you do. We need to change that, Chris. <laughs> Indeed, um, I need your I need your help with the bunker shots and the three to five foot knee knockers. How do I get my brain okay. to do the right thing? Help me with that. Right. Okay. Um, like I said, the first thing we're going to teach you is to um, focus on the right thing. Focus on what you want. What do you want? And if you just said that, yes. I mean, like, okay, uh, if you're on the bunker and you say, I just want to get out, that's okay because that's the first level. It's just like, you know, with a beginner, what's the, what's the first thing you want them to do is just, just to get out. And then if they're like, oh, I have some success and I just want to get out. I just want to get out. So, like, if you were standing in the bunker and you were just talking to yourself and saying, I'm just going to get out. I'm just going to get out literally in that language. And then your physiology, meaning your body believes it. So think about another situation that, what are you really good at in, in golf, Chris? It's the first thing comes I to would your mind. Say like, my, hey, I got this. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a pretty good chipper. Okay. So what do you say when you're standing over chipping? Chip shots. What do you notice? Yeah, I guess I, yeah, I guess, you know, what, I, what what's, what's going through my mind is I'm going to hit this close. I'm going to get this close. That's right. Yeah. So you have a belief system. You're like, oh, I, I, I've got this, you know, or I'm going to hit this close. Okay. Yeah. And how does your body feel when, you, when you're standing over a chipping shot and when you're talking about that? Yeah. When you I have guess I'm pretty relaxed over that shot. Yeah. Yeah. You're relaxed. you're relaxed. Okay. So that's your physiology. Yeah. That's what we mean by your body. And your language is like, yeah, I got this. I'm going to hit this close. Okay. Um, your, and your focus is on what? On hitting the ball close. On the ball <laughs> position yeah, and where the pin is. Yeah. It's like you've got your focus is on what you want to do. It's n yeah. There's nowhere, nothing saying that um, you're not focused on the not. You're focused on what you're going to do. Yeah. So we just train that in. That those three things focus language and physiology in, in your pre-shot routine. And if you're standing over a ball and you have out of those three, if something comes up negative, we get out of it. You know, it's you have to train pre-shot routine and um, your thoughts and your emotions just like you you train your putting mechanics. But most people do not train that. You know, what what does most people do when they want to get better? Is they go to the driving range and work on their full swing. Or they'll go to right. the putting green and work on putting, but they're not working on their mental state of it. They're just standing over there working on mechanics. No, I mean as, as you mentioned, Sue, you know the idea of getting out of it. So when we when we've had a poor shot, and it's going to happen every round, right? We're going to have we're going to have a poor swing. Yep. We might have a bad hole. How do you get out of that negative mindset, like, and not continue to beat yourself up and leave it in the past, so that when you go on to the next tee? And, uh, and you know, play from there that you don't let that carry over into the next several holes. Yeah, we teach we teach our players how to close the shot, just like you close the door. It's it's an anchor, and it's a physical anchor usually. Um, you know, you'll see some tour players take the glove off between the shots. That's an anchor of closing the shot. It's like, okay, I'm done with it. I'm gonna take my glove off. I'm gonna walk to the next shot, and I start over, and I'm gonna open up a new door. 
it's a whole new shot. You know, you hear all the time, you got to play one shot at a time. Well, you cannot play one shot at a, at a time if you carry the old shot with you. So um, my juniors, <laughs> I teach them how to flush the toilet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I mean by that is <laughs> they literally, once they don't like the shot, I teach them to go just take a little step behind and pretend like they're flushing something. And they love it because once they flush it, it's gone. And now they can move on, you know. Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways that you can uh, you can do it. People will, will um, you know, um, when you anchor. That's why we have to teach our players how to anchor good shots, because what does most people focus on after the round? Think about that. What's most people yeah. focus on and talk about is after the round. Oh, it's, it's usually the negative. It's a bad hole. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. If, I, if I only if mm -hmm. I didn't do that, if I had done this, you know, then this would have been different. You're right. We mm -hmm. we do we bring that with us. Yeah, that's that focus of the knots. Okay, and if you're throwing that into your sub subconscious and you're talking about it and you're emotionalizing it, which means the higher level of emotion you give to a result or a thought, the more that's going to anchor in your subconscious. So if you are filling up this, let's say there's an empty glass. And that's the bottom of the glass is your subconscious. And you keep putting in negative thoughts into that glass over and over and over again. What are you going to keep getting? Yeah, you're going to keep getting that same thing. So we teach our players yeah. how to anchor it differently. And that's a post-shot routine. And literally, there is a post-shot routine because you have to teach, your, teach people to like, okay, that shot's over. Whether or not it was good or bad, the shot's over and we're going to, we're going to move on. But we also teach our players that when you hit a good shot, let's celebrate it. What are you going to do? You know, emotionalize it. You're going to neutralize it. Because um, some people are a little bit different the way they anchor. And that's what's so personal about golf is pre-shot and post-shots are personal. They're individualized. They get to. It's your creative process in regards to a, a, a pre-shot routine and a post-shot routine. You get to be creative with your player and like, well, okay, so how do you want to, how do you want to close a shot? What do you want to do physically? to change the state and let go, let go of that shot. Take the glove off, maybe go over there and tap your bag with the club. Like was, that tap means the club means that shot's gone or put the club in your golf bag. That shot's gone. You know, take your glove off, flush the toilet, whatever it may be, <laughs> but we have to teach them. That's right. <laughs> we really have to teach them to close the shot. It's over. We can't do anything about it. And the right. best players and the best, as you know, the best players are the ones that have the best of, um, what do I want to say? They're the, you know, the master of doing that is they can let it go. They're not bringing, they're not bringing it up, bringing it on and staying. They're just really good at staying in the present, not thinking about their score, not thinking about the last shot or last or not even thinking about the front nine versus the back nine. Um, that's the difficulty in, in regards to where I think People just don't train. Um, train. They don't train their brains. They're train. They're they're training their mechanics over and over and over and over again. But as you know, golf is a um, you know is a dynamic sport, and every shot's different. Therefore, we have to train our brain to start over because it's different. It's not as you know. It's not a tennis court where the dimensions are the same and the racket's the same and the ball's the same. 
everything's different. So we have to be a master of, of you know, you, I'm sure you've heard this with Vision 54, but a master of variability. The, the variables in golf are just enormous. And we just have to be the, the master uh, master of that. But we have to train it. And most people don't train that. They just train mechanics. And that's where they have a difficult time figuring out, like, well, what happened? You know, what happened with that shot? Where'd that come from? Yeah. Right. Well, Sue, before we let you go, let our listeners know now that you've wet their whistle and they, everyone needs to get a copy of your book. Talk <laughs> about how they can do that and then follow you both uh, online and on uh, social media as well. Yeah, you can find my book, Golf, The Last Six Inches, Change Your Brain, Change Your Game. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's still up there in the really nice ranking, so it's easy to find. Um, you can find me at Sue Weger, which is W-I-E-G-E-R, golf.com. Uh, or you can uh, go to my Facebook page, which is uh, Sue Weger Golf Academy, and you can look me up through there. I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona, and um, just enjoying the heat these days. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> but uh, I travel around and... Um, do workshops based on change your brain, change your game. Matter of fact, I'm actually actually in Nebraska uh, this week doing some workshops and working with some clients. And so if you've got a group that wants to uh, come on down to Scottsdale and in the winter when it's beautiful out, uh, just contact me and we'll put a program together for you. Well, Sue, thank you so much for coming back and uh, and being a part of the show again tonight. It's uh, it's been great catching back up with you and having you here. I hope you'll come back and uh, and keep us up to date with all the great things you're doing because uh, a lot of what you uh, said I know resonated with me and I'm sure with all of our listeners as well. So thank you for being here tonight. Thanks, Chris. Absolutely, anytime. And um, I hope to see you uh, see you now. Where are you based out of, Chris? You're based out of out Atlanta. Of- out of Atlanta. Okay. I'm in Atlanta. Yep. Hopefully we'll play some golf one day down there. I hope so too. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care, Sue. Okay. All the best to you and your family. Thanks, Chris. Have a great one. You too, Sue. Thanks. That's Sue Weger, W-I-E-G-E-R, SueWegerGolf.com. And again, uh, the book is absolutely fantastic, folks. And uh, there's a couple of great things that, that she talked about, sort of bookending the conversation. Find your why, right? Why do you like the game? That's something that uh, our good friend Cindy Miller has talked about as well. But why do you want to play? Why are you playing the game, right? And uh, and that's a, that's a great uh, way to kind of get yourself launched into playing the game better. And then again, uh, the, the name of the book is uh, Golf, The Last Six Inches, Change Your Brain, Change Your Game. And uh all that negative self-talk. And we talk about that on the show here all the time, but we got to find ways to keep that from creeping in. And, and uh, even though we talk about it all the time, it's still something that bothers me. Like I say, don't get me in a bunker. Don't give me a a three to five footer because that's where the negative thoughts start creeping in. And I've got to train my brain to do it differently. And uh, like Sue said, you know, what do you want to happen? Right. That's the thing we've got to figure out and say to ourselves, what do you want to happen? And uh, I love what she said in there towards the end. Can't play one hole at a time if you bring the last hole with you. And that's something we've all got to do as well is, uh, is flush that toilet and leave it back there and then move on to uh, the next great shot that we're going to hit. So great having Sue as part of the show. Looking forward to having her back on again uh, real soon. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out to David Abelese, 
Andy Lano the second and Sue Weger for joining me. And uh, folks, thank you so much for uh, for being with us again tonight. Please check out our website nextonthetea.net. On there, you'll be able to stay up to date with uh, our guest schedule, see who we've got coming up, and uh, be a part of the show. Uh, I also want to mention our friends over at launchpaddm.com. Folks, go over to launchpaddm.com. We're featured next on the T is featured right there on their homepage. Give us a, a like, give us a, a click on there and subscribe to the show. We really appreciate that and your support for doing that. You can also find the show on great sites like Podbean and Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, and Player.fm as well. So, folks, thank you so much for being a part of the show again with the uh, this week. And uh, like I say, we can't thank you enough for making us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. It's all about